This week on Prepping 2.0. A very real and scary scenario. The storyboard for what we believe to be a potential scenario and actually one in 2024. When disaster strikes, will you be prepared? This is Prepping 2.0 with authors and prepping experts, Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Online at prepping2-0.com. Get ready. Prepping 2.0 coming in three, two. One. Welcome everyone, this is Shelby Gallagher over here at Prepping 2.0, joined by my co-host on the show and co-host in live, Glenn Tate. There's an SHTF scenario that I can easily see happening in 2024, and that would be a Hamas-style attack on the U.S. from the southern border. We approach this like we are outlining a novel on this scenario. That's what the episode is about. Why are we approaching this like we're outlining a novel? because you get the story and the prepping points, but we don't have to spend a year writing a book because we're kind of lazy. <laughs> and as always, remember, the only thing harder than planning for a disaster is explaining why you didn't. So I know we're going to be talking about a Hamas-style attack from the southern border. We know that. I mean, Glenn just said that. I predicted it, it and it happened. It happened. One that I never want you to predict but the predictors are out there. There's an EMP. We never want to be right about that. No, because that means everything electronic goes... Stone Age. Stone Age in a hot second. One thing that's really cool out there, there's an awesome product from a company called EMP Shield that will protect your home, your car, your electronic devices from an EMP, a CME, which is naturally occurring, as well as just lightning strikes. It's mm -hmm. like a really huge, awesome surge protector for your home, for your solar array, for your battery banks, for your car. It cuts off a surge in three trillionths of a second before, before it can do damage. It's amazing. So add that to your preps. If you go over and check it out over at prepping2-0.com, click on friends and affiliates. There's coupon code over there that gets you like 50 bucks off per device, mm -hmm. which is really cool. As usual, every week, we tell you about one of the top 10 items that disappear first. And this is a great list of things to think about getting because these are things that disappear first, which means number one, they're in high demand. Number two, they have great barter value. And a lot of the things on this list you wouldn't think of unless it had been on this list. This week, it's number 47, prescription meds. Here's the caveat to that. It's kind of hard to get a bunch of prescription medications in advance. There's some theories about ways to do it. We covered that in one of our shows with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. We won't repeat it. It's kind of hard to do. But the idea is try really hard to get your prescription meds a little bit stockpiled. We're going to talk about this in this storyboard episode. We're going to mention this. I think people being cut off from their prescriptions when it comes to mental issues is going to be an enormous problem. Some of the other podcasts that I listen to out there, let me just add this as a mm -hmm. potential sure. resource. For Talk this. about competitors. Go right ahead. I know because people ask us this every now and then we get it. Are you guys going to ever talk about prescription drugs? If you check out Glenn Beck, he has a sponsor mm -hmm. that is a health provider that will do like an online or a phone. It's for antibiotics. Antibiotics as mm -hmm. well as diabetic medication okay. and heart medication. So check them out. Just mm -hmm. go check out that show and you might be able to find a resource there because this is important some of the medications that we take are life-saving and life-maintaining and it's an absolute reason to check that out here's what you missed from a recent after show if you're not a Patreon. The most expensive block that took the longest time that came from the North Spore was the Blue Oysters, and those have been producing really well. And I have then another block from Mushroom Mountain that's still in its early stages. So we have a lot of Blue Oysters that are coming, and we have shiitake still growing. Come on, be honest with us here. Aren't you a little curious what's in the after show? You can satisfy your curiosity for $2 a month by going to prepping2-0.com and clicking on the Patreon button, or as an alternative, if you don't want to comply and click on a button, you can get on the Googles and search for Prepping 2.0 and Patreon, and it comes right up. Pre-orders of our new book, Food Preps 2.0. As of the recording of this in mid to late January, we don't know if there are pre-orders available or not because, and this is a good problem to have, the book is going to be published presumably so quickly that the gap in time between pre-orders and publication might be a day or two. So why annoy people with right. a pre-order link and confuse them and stuff like that? Here's the bottom line. If there is a pre-order link for the book, because you guys have responded amazingly well, I mean, this is going to be big. 
If there's a pre-order link, you will get it. For regular show listeners, it will be on our website, prepping2-0.com. Social media. Social media. If you're a Patreon, there'll be a Patreon post about it. So whether it's a pre-order or not, and yes, we're biased, we candidly believe, and I might get in trouble with some of my prepper author friends and prepper podcaster friends, I think this book is going to be the book on food preps. And if you saw the table of contents and Patreons have, you would agree that we covered so many topics. This is soup to nuts, kind of a food joke in there. You're going to love it. Folks, stay tuned because we're going to do some giveaways too. As that published date gets closer, we're just hesitating saying what those giveaways are until we have more solid dates. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. We don't want to leave you hanging. Nope. Well, we call them storyboards. What are those? That's how Shelby and I outlined our novels. It's hard writing a novel, but it's much easier to storyboard it and talk about what we'd say in a book if we weren't so lazy. And storyboard is just a fancy author word for a detailed outline. It's where you go through the story, the chronology, and all of that. So what we thought we'd do is a storyboard for what we believe to be a potential scenario and actually one in 2024. You know how hesitant I am to put dates on things because then the dates aren't met and everyone goes, you were wrong, man. If you haven't heard me say, I think X SHTF event will occur this year. You haven't heard me say that because I hate to make time-based predictions, but I'm breaking my silence because I think a Hamas-style attack on America is a very real possibility in 2024. Listen as we lay out the scenario and you'll be glad you're a prepper. That is the conclusion you will draw. So let's get right into the storyboard that we have here. Storyboarding is how both Shelby and I hashed out our novels. We would talk to each other about it and do these outlines. This is insight to how a novel is hatched, except we're not actually going to write it out as a novel for reasons previously mentioned. So as mentioned, this is a Hamas-style attack. That's a scenario from the southern border, kind of like Israel suffered on October 7th with some nuances. In this scenario, Iran, who runs Hamas and Hezbollah and Islamic Jihad. And when I say Hamas, it's kind of an umbrella term for all those groups and maybe some others. You'll see in a moment. In this scenario, Iran threatens localized shipborne EMPs off the East Coast and the West Coast. I know what you're saying. Doesn't Iran have big old missiles that could deliver an EMP right above the U.S.? Probably not. And also we do have missile defenses. If it's one or two long range missiles all the way from the other side of the world, we could probably handle them. So there's a second and less effective way to deliver an EMP, and that is a shipborne strike. And that would be a vessel. It doesn't have to be an Iranian flagged vessel. It could be whatever that has a short range missile. By short, I mean relatively short, medium range, I guess, that goes up in the air off of, say, New York City and pops over New York City. It's a much smaller localized EMP, but it's still an EMP. So Iran in this scenario is threatening to do that. And they would probably do it depending on how many of these they have because we gave them a billion dollars. Way to go, Joe Biden. Yep. One maybe off the East Coast and one maybe off the West Coast. Also part of this scenario is that China takes down the internet, I'm thinking sporadically and only for a few days. And the reason I say that is, I guess China has the ability to take down the internet forever and ever. I can't imagine them doing that. I mean, if they could control it, they wouldn't do it because they're going to want the internet for a bunch of other stuff. And you guys know my theory about disasters and drama. And that is the more dramatic something is, the less likely it is to occur. And the corollary is the less dramatic something is, the more likely it is to occur. And so I'm thinking that China, if they took down the internet, and they probably can, uh, I don't really know, but I know the internet is pretty spread out and it's supposed to be resilient. And I also know, and here I am, a prepper author saying what I'm about to say, a lot of times people hype up mm -hmm. threats to scare people. 
I try not to do that. I think my accuracy has been pretty good from 299 days. So I don't think anyone's saying that I hype stuff up. If anything, they're saying that I predict stuff and Chili predicted stuff in her books too. So that's why I'm thinking China takes down the internet, but only for a few days. So another point with all of this is, as I've mentioned, this could happen in 2024, but for sure it could happen soon thereafter. And the 2024 date is significant because the United States in 2024 is going to be in some degree of political disarray and division and nastiness because of the presidential election. The other reason 2024 might be when this happens is that and I'm not being political, I'm just observing a fact. If I were Iran and China, I would want to attack the United States while Joe Biden was president because he's pathetic and ineffective. I mean, his defense secretary is like out of the office for a month and nobody notices. Yeah, that actually happened. And it was a month that he had this diagnosed medical issue. We all wish him well, seriously. We don't wish that- Lloyd Austin, right? Lloyd Austin, yeah. And I really think there's something to that because if you think Donald Trump is gonna win the 2024 election, and I do, you would, as a bad guy, realize he's not the kind of cat you wanna mess with. So that's why I could see this happening in 2024. So, and this is kind of a cousin to this part of our storyboard. Did you know, Glenn Tate, that in 2024, there is an unprecedented number of countries on this planet where it's a major election year? Mm, That's right. Taiwan just had an election. It's January 2024. But still, now that I think about it, you are correct. So we're going to have instability. Globally. And when there's political contests... Other countries like to do things like invade and assassinate and do bad things. And so that is interesting. I did not know that. And the reason why is because during that time when everyone's campaign, there is this lesser will to defend as a world leader. Now, the problem is, is that when you have these kind of benign leaders who are trying to be good while they're about to be maybe elected or unelected, there's a vacuum in leadership. And of course, when there's a vacuum, others will fill in that gap. So... Anyway, yeah, I thought that was interesting. When I heard that, I thought I'd just add that. There we go. So because this is a storyboard, we're going to show, if we were writing this as a novel, we Mm -hmm. would show how different regions in America react to these events. And we would do that through different characters. You would have a guy in Texas. You would have somebody in Seattle. You might have a really cool guy in Montana. I'm just saying that could be one of your characters. Well, there's a cool guy in Montana, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So- That's how we would do that. Now, we're not going to sort of go into narrating this and having like fake voices and stuff like that, because that's really not credible and it's hard to do. Believe me, if you think it's easy to narrate audiobooks, you ought to try it sometime. But understand that's how we would tell this story. So we're going to do in this storyboard, a lot of this is going to be a description of the political reactions to the attacks. And when I say political, I don't mean the horse race. How many points is Nikki Haley up in New Hampshire kind of stuff? I mean, very broad political things like most people in the United States of America saying this horrible, tragic thing that happened that was so devastating could have been avoided if we wouldn't have had our southern border wide open. And I mean, people getting really mad. I don't mean just voting differently. I mean, getting actually Mad. So we would have characters. We'd have one from several areas. They would show the different conditions in different states. Here's what we would do because we like to tell good stories and we like to make important points about prepping. We would have some of the characters be preppers and some of them not be preppers because you could really see the contrast in how stuff turned out and how people handled stuff. We would also have people in the middle, people that were maybe prepping 1.0 because you can illustrate and teach a lot of stuff by having different levels of preparation in different characters. We would also have characters who were government officials, some who were doing bad things and some who were doing good things because it's a great way to legitimize the insight. When you're saying, oh, here's what the National Security Council would do, you can't really say it as just like some guy. You have to say, well, I'm a character and I'm the deputy, you know, national security advisor. And here's what happened today at work. And it's a really effective way to give credibility to the information you're giving out. Plus, it's interesting. People 
relate to people. People relate to characters and you can't just have some Excel spreadsheet with information in it, expect people to retain it. But if that information comes out in the process of telling a story and seeing characters, how they do things, why they do things and how they react, it's just a great way to tell a story. We're taking that out because it's only a one hour or so podcast. The problem Here's the part of the story that we don't need to elaborate on because you already know this. The problem is massive illegal immigration, primarily from the Middle East and China. Those are the two problem regions. Most illegal immigrants are not from the Middle East and China, although a surprisingly high number are. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to get into the whole, you know, Central and South America thing because that's not our focus here. But the problem is massive illegal immigration. And it's going to lead people when they see the effects of it. And by the way, we hope none of this happens. Oh, gosh, yes. We hope this is just a crazy fiction, what ifs kind of storyboard. Well, and jumping back, I want to put a fine point on something you just said. There's not that many people coming through the southern border from China, but there's... There were 16,000 in December, by the way. Which is a lot. Yeah, no, what I mean, I mean, it's not but, the millions. Right. It is insane. It is insane. Yeah. And, and we think that you wonder why the Biden administration allows this, although you have a pretty good idea and it's politics, it's new voters. You also feel completely powerless to stop this. We don't need to tell you that. You already feel it. And I would like to highlight something that happened this week. Again, this is mid to late January. The Texas National Guard took control insane. of a city park on the border that was used by Border Patrol and illegal aliens to stage illegal alien stuff that Border Patrol would process them in this park. Not only did the Texas National Guard take physical control, they kicked out the Border Patrol agents that were there. I'm not saying that guns were taken out. I hope not. That's not what anybody wants. But the Border Patrol folks left the area for whatever reason and however it happened. Many, 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 many civil war between two government agencies. I mean, I don't want to say those words because that scares us so much. And I do not want that. And I'm not advocating for that. But that's how these things get started. It's little, yeah. little tiny little tips like this, right? Well, yes and no. I don't think that's what's going to happen here. No, 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 no. But I think it's fascinating f for a couple reasons. Yes. Number one, it shows that Texas and the governor of Texas in particular has had it. He's yes. tried. He's not a super conservative guy. He's not a liberal, but he's not a super conservative guy. I think that he has correctly concluded that the state of Texas has tried to play nice. They've tried to do this with lawsuits. They've tried to do this by passing state laws, making illegal immigration illegal, hence the name illegal immigration. And that if a moderate guy like Greg Abbott has had enough of this, that tells me that moderate, decent, rational people are going to plan B. And here's an example that just happened this last week as well. The Texas National Guard has put up razor wire yeah. across the Rio Grande. Guess who has come in and taken it down? Yeah. Border Patrol. So yeah. th these are things where Governor Abbott is attempting to use the rule of law and use reasonable measures. Yeah. And he's being undermined by the Border Patrol. Right. So I can see. Yeah. And that's exactly what's exactly. going to happen here. I'm going to tell you right now, prediction time, a federal judge will stop Texas from mm -hmm. kicking out the Border Patrol. And I hope that it's lawyers. I hope lawyers fight this out and all of that and not people because lawyers are not people. But I wanted to just highlight this because you guys know what the problem is. And Here's this situation from our enemies' standpoint. Our enemies need an indirect way to attack the United States. There would be a character in this story who would be an intel person who would explain this. And what the character, he or she, would explain is that Hamas and Hezbollah have got their rear ends handed to them by Israel. Israel's counter to October 7th has been remarkably successful. I mean, mind-blowingly. I didn't think, to be quite honest, that Israel, which is a pretty woke place, would do all the nasty stuff they did. And I'm kind of impressed. And so Hamas and Hezbollah, don't forget, they're gangs. They're run by gangsters. The gangsters steal the international aid. 
They steal all the stuff. They live lavishly. They don't give any of the food to their people. And they have a political slash mafia sort of mindset and modus operandi. And when they are getting their rear ends handed to them, they need to think of other things to do to take people's minds off of it and to legitimize their theft and terror of their own people. I mean, far more Palestinians have died, I'm going to guess, by uh, Hamas and Hezbollah enforcers within Arab areas than by the Israelis. I've heard that statistic thrown out there, so Mm -hmm. unconfirmed, but yes. The other thing motivating our enemies would be that in Iran, Iran is crumbling economically and has a bunch of social unrest. Again, what's one way to get back in charge is to take credit for killing a bunch of Americans. Mm -hmm. And then China has Taiwan. China wants to neutralize the United States and they want to do so without a direct attack on the United States. And so they would be game for this too. They have a political reason to indirectly attack us. And here's the thing. They know the United States is weak. It's weak socially, politically, economically, and physically. Why did I add physically? Because so many Americans are physically incapable of doing the stuff that would need to be done in one of these scenarios. And I'm not talking in like young man military shape. I'm talking like walk a couple miles shape. And so they know we're weak. Well, and honestly, China has control of most of our medications. Oh, yeah. 98% of prescriptions come from China. Yeah. And so the enemies, I'll call them, because it kind of doesn't matter who all's involved. I mean, if China sits it out, is it really going to go well for us? No. If China's driving it and they're Chinese spies that have come through the southern border and they're doing the attacking, is that going to make it any less? No, of course not. So anyway, but here's the thing. Our enemies know that the political divide in America is nearing a boiling point. I don't know what that boiling point looks like. I wish it weren't true, but they know that we are on, politically speaking, we're on a knife's edge. Well, and we're at a boiling point and it's an election year. So that just throws gas on that fire. Yes. Exactly. And if I were enemies of the United States, I would ask the question, why not use these weaknesses against America by introducing death and mayhem and then watching America fall apart as we fight each other? This is classic. If you think this is like some new idea, you need to look at world history. This is exactly how it's done. It's been done all over the world throughout time in various ways. It might have been with bows and arrows. It might have been with cannons. It might have been with sharp sticks. This is exactly what happens when your enemy is weak. You introduce death and mayhem and you, you watch them fall them. apart. And you destabilize them because then you don't have to send in troops and risk losing your own lives, right? Exactly. Yeah. And when you're inferior militarily, like fewer bombers and missiles and, and yeah. radar guided bombs and stuff, this is the only way you can do an attack. And Russian and Chinese doctrine, you'll notice I didn't bring Russia into this. I think they're distracted in Ukraine. Chinese military doctrine is very specific. We will use the asymmetric advantage we have, America being messed up, to go do indirect stuff. So when we come back on the other side of the break, we're going to get into some of the details of the attacks and some of the reactions. And this is the hardcore prepper stuff. We've set the stage. Then we're going to get into the action part of this storyboard. Don't go away. More of Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher is coming right up. Hear all our previous shows free online at prepping2-0.com. In a tactical situation, your AR is your life. Gibbs Arms makes a sweet feature, the only side charger that can use a standard bolt carrier group with no modification. Gibbs makes them in 9mm, 5.56, and 308. In fact, Gibbs Arms has been granted eight patents for unique innovations. The company started back in 2008 when two Boeing engineers realized no one else made what they wanted. Take a look at their website and see all the ways Gibbs Arms can help you mod your AR. Gibbs with a Z, arms.com. That's G-I-B-B-Z-A-R-M-S.com. Without water, you're done in three days. Pro One water filters. It's literally a matter of life and wet. Pro One G2.0 all-in-one gravity systems are 
NSF ANSI 42 component certified. Not everybody can say that. No need for additional add-on filters to reduce fluoride. Pro One stainless gravity systems include a stainless steel spigot and a countertop stand for no additional cost. Pro One water filter gravity systems. Check them out at ProOneUSA.com. That's P-R-O-O-N-E-U-S-A.com. Most tested, most trusted. Prepping 2.0 is about that next level of prepping. One of the key 2.0 items to have is bulletproof body armor plates. I used to think body armor was too tactical for a regular guy like me, but it isn't. Give yourself, your family, and your team an unfair advantage when bullets are flying. Body armor used to be expensive and hard to get. Not anymore. KD Armor, and that stands for come and take it, makes solid and affordable body armor for normal people. Get body armor while you can. The clowns in Congress are trying to prohibit future sales. KD Armor is the place to get it. C-A-T-I-Armor.com. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount when you use the coupon code GRANT. When the grid goes down, darkness will descend fast. Used to be there was nothing you could do about an EMP, electromagnetic pulse, or CME, coronal mass ejection. Now you can protect your electronics, protect your family, thanks to EMP Shield. EMP Shield invented a simple-to-install device that prevents whatever's connected to it from frying in an EMP or a CME, and it costs just a few hundred dollars. EMP Shield has been tested by independent laboratories and passed muster with the government, which has ordered lots of them. Google EMP Shield and see for yourself. And save some money. Get a $50 discount per device. Go to prepping2-o.com. Click on the Friends and Affiliates page, then click on the EMP Shield logo. At checkout, use coupon code PREPPING2.0. It's all one word. Shelby Gallagher here. We found that you need to layer your food preps. Yeah, this is Glenn Tate here. A lot of times, the hardest part of layering is the long-term foods. We love new mana foods, which have a 25-year shelf life and are non-GMO. Also, organic meals are available. Numana comes in family-style portions and in bulk. This is not backpacking food. It's family meals that last for at least 25 years. The perfect freeze-dried part of your food layering. You can get a sample of Numana meals for $19.95 and see for yourself. You will be amazed. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount by entering the code PREP. Go to Numana.com or click the link on the Prepping 2.0 website. Give it a try. Numana.com. That is N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. Are you a prepper or homesteader looking to connect with like-minded people in your area? Looking to start your own preparedness group? Already have a group? Well, look no further than PrepperNet. PrepperNet is dedicated to personal responsibility, individual freedoms, and being self-reliant. PrepperNet has monthly meetings in over 100 cities where you can meet and learn with like-minded people in your area. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. Find us online at PrepperNet.com. Now, more of Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for rejoining us. We're just getting started with our conversation about a very real and scary scenario. For even more, though, stick around for the after show if you're a Patreon supporter. We didn't design it this way, but we want to talk to you about Pro One water filters. The reason I say we didn't design it this way is when you hear the rest of the scenario of a Hamas-style attack, you're going to instantly realize why having water treatment is so critical. We've got a great sponsor. They're fantastic folks. Go to prepping2-0.com. Click on the friends and affiliates link. Go look at Pro One. If you're familiar with Berkey water filters, and Berkey are great. I have one. They're fine. Pro One makes one that's a little bit cheaper and I think just as good. Yes. And you're going to need a tabletop couple gallon water filter for reasons that will be alluded to and explained coming up. Archive Dive of the Week. This is where we go back and look at an old episode. We have, well, we're on 273 right now. We have a lot of episodes and a lot of new listeners. And people may not know that we have, candidly, so much good stuff in our archives. This week, we look at episode 112, which aired on December 31st, 2020. And it was called, fittingly enough, Worst Year Ever, 2020 in Review. The reason this is such a great episode to listen to now is you can go back and listen to what was going on in 2020. And it's amazing. It's very telling. I think that there are parallels. We've talked about this when we've answered Patreon questions. There are parallels, potentially, between 2020 and 2024. 
So that's why it's worth it. Well, I would like to pick up where I left off. Yes. And we went through the setup, the setting the stage, and now we're going to get to the action part. And it starts on whatever day it starts. Please don't expect me to predict what day this is happening. If I did predict what day was happening, pretty sure I would get arrested because somebody would say you were in on it. You're instigating something. That's right. Yeah. And remember, we don't want this to happen. So it would start with shooting up places. I don't know how many bad guys would be involved. There are tens of thousands of people from bad guy countries, military age males. Does that mean they're all bad guys? Of course not. No. A lot of these people, Chinese in particular, come from countries in which you don't just leave the country without the government knowing about it because number one, they'll imprison your family if you left without authorization. So when, for example, 16,000 Chinese nationals enter the United States through the southern border in one month, that would be the month of January 2023, you know that the vast majority of them are entering the United States with the direct or indirect approval of the Chinese Communist Party. So let's contrast that, shall we? Mm -hmm. If we think back in our history to, I think about when I was growing up and younger, like in the 80s and 90s, when you hear about people who escaped China, Mm -hmm. how they had to like hike through the Himalayans and had to avoid being caught because the Chinese citizenry, not the army, not the government, were trying to escape communism and that oppression. Mm-hmm. So what we're talking about here. Right. So where are all these immigrants coming from when you think about the 16,000 that are coming through our southern We should hear these amazing stories of how they escaped the clutches of Chinese communism. They're not. They're being sent. And yes. also, it's one thing, as hard as it would be to hike through the Himalayas, these folks are ending up in Mexico. How did they get there? Presumably by air or by sea. The Chinese government has very effective controls on people getting on airplanes and ships. The Chinese nationals that are in Mexico and coming through the southern border got there purposefully. And by approval. And by approval. So anyway, I don't mean to dwell on that, but you would have scattered attacks. And by scattered, I mean, if you were a bad guy, and I'm thinking like a bad guy here, You would attack large and small cities and you would attack them in different regions. And the reason for that is psychological. This is what terrorists do. Terrorism is really psychological warfare that happens to have a physical component to it. You would want people in big cities and all the regions of the country to be scared. And you'd want people in small towns in every region of the country to be scared. What you need to do is have the population identify with the victims. Say, oh my goodness, that could have been me. Right. And when you attack a small town in Iowa and you attack uh, New York City and everything in between, that's how you get the general population to feel it and to say, this could be me. I need to be scared. My government has failed me. I am scared. I'm going to do crazy stuff, which we'll get into in a Mm -hmm. moment. So it'd be mostly shooting up places, small arms, grenades. There would be attacks. With the most damage, would you say? Oh, yeah. So it's going to be like highly populated events and things like like that. Yeah, like October 7th. I mean, a music festival and some settlements and all of that other stuff. Well, can I jump here and and talk about that? So I've watched, I can't watch too much of it, some of the videos of the attacks, because much of it was videoed not only by Hamas, but also by just like security cameras. And especially at the border, what they would do is kind of drive up, get out, shoot the guard, shoot any other cars coming, and then they would just walk through. So when you think about the southern border and how our border patrol agents are really kind of ingratiating themselves, it makes you wonder, are they trying to not be attacked? Is it self-preservation? I mean, we'll never know the reasons why, but think about how dangerous that could be if there's some sort of shooting like that, Hamas style at our southern border. Yeah, and I don't think it would be at the southern border. I'm talking about Iowa and stuff like that. You're focusing on one part, but... I was focusing on rolling up to the Mall of America in Minneapolis. Oh, absolutely. And I agree. But I'm just saying part of the component was how they got through gates and points of entry. Yeah. And which we typically don't have in America. I mean, there are some gated communities, but the Mall of America doesn't have gates. up. Exactly. And I pray to God the Mall of America is not attacked and people think no, I had something to do with so it. No, this is so not what we want. There would be attacks on power stations mm-hmm. and other key infrastructure. I think there would be attacks on municipal water systems, 
We'll get into that in a moment. And the other component of this, and I don't think it would be the biggest component, I think it would be a smaller component, would be assassinations of celebrities, maybe political people. The reason I don't think it would be the major focus is that it's hard to do. It takes planning. And that's something else people need to understand. It's not like Iran, who I see as the primary bad guy here. It's not like Iran needs to, you know, send a message to 10 or 15,000 bad guys, like all at the same time and stuff like that. That's not how they operate. Mm -hmm. They are sleeper cells. They know that when the stuff goes down, you know, grab that AK and start going at it. And the small teams of terrorists, scumbags, will be allowed to pick their own targets. They will be given guidelines like, you know, attack fast food restaurants so people are scared to go to fast food. I mean, there'll be like ideas and guidelines, but it's not going to be strictly it's controlled. It's very unsophisticated. Yeah. yeah. So here is a wrinkle in all of this. And I can't decide if I were writing a novel I can't decide if I would include this, but I'll include it in the storyboard for you guys because this is how Shelby and I do storyboards. And we don't just have a final storyboard of the story as it's going to be written. We put stuff in and think about it. And that would be these coastal EMPs. I'm not sure that Iran or conceivably China would do these low altitude coastal EMPs. I go back and forth in my mind. But if there were coastal EMPs, what I would see happening right at the get-go of an attack is that American naval forces, perhaps disobeying orders, perhaps being rogue, naval forces would start sinking suspicious vessels. And that would have some international consequences. There's a New Zealand frigate, kind of looked like it could be launching an EMP missile, so we took it out. Anyway, I'm not going to dwell on the EMP part of this. When I think about when you're describing this, I think about how it's kind of sort of happened already. So think about that in relation to like the Chinese balloon that we're finding out yeah. more and more was allowed by our yeah. government to just keep on floating over. That's why I said rogue exactly. elements. And I think that underscores the disconnect between Biden and the military. Yeah. Well, and, and mm -hmm. how our government will... Uh, he knew what was going on. Yeah. That is what the information is coming. He knew what was going on. He did not tell anyone what was going on. A lot of knowledge was there and he let it happen. So when, in other words, we all know this, our government is not going to defend us or not going to protect us. That just goes without saying, but we've already seen small versions of this already. Right. Well, what we haven't seen is rogue air assets shooting down balloons. Exactly. I, anyway, so I don't want to dwell on the EMP sure. thing because it's not the main part of the story. Well, the government's initial reaction, you guessed it, they would blame this, I'm not kidding, on white supremacists. Yes. Oh, yeah. They would say that Rotary Club and Kiwanis operatives shot up the Mall of America. And they use that as the whole just calling people names and marginalizing. You know, they will call you and me white supremacists. They will call- Which is ironic anyone who I'm Indian. Anyone who questions or puts out any sort of resistance to this, you'll just be labeled and marginalized because that's the habit. That's and that's the, all they have. Mm -hmm. Here's why that's an important part of the story. First of all, I think it's what's going to happen. And second of all, and more importantly, no one's going to believe them. Part of the theory, part of the story of this is that nobody's going to believe the government anymore. The last- holdouts of people who believe the government was going to take care of them are going to get a rude awakening. Mm -hmm. So their initial reaction will be white supremacists. No one will believe them. What I'm not saying is that the government will start, you know, rounding up white people or anything crazy like that. I don't think that happens. That's crazy talk. But I think that's the government's initial reaction. And you know what? It makes me very sad that mm -hmm. I have to- yeah play out this scenario and think that that is what the government's initial reaction would be. It just pains me that it's to the point. It makes like you that. have an I miss America moment. Exactly. This would have never happened 20 years ago, 10 years ago. Exactly. People will instantly realize the government is totally unprepared for these attacks. I remember we were talking to uh, Roy, our NYPD detective friend who's been on the show a couple of times, and he was telling the story. He was in the air guard when Hurricane Sandy hit. And he said, and I thought he was kidding at first, but he wasn't. He said that there were people and, and the power went out. It was devastating. It was technically a hurricane in Long Island. I mean, that's like it's a big crazy. Deal. Yeah. And he said there were people that actually were demanding 
that FEMA food trucks roll up like 12 hours after this hit. They actually believed that there were FEMA, I guess, taco trucks or something just sitting there waiting, gassed up and ready with food that would go out and cook them a hot meal. And people are going to get over that misconception very quickly. To put a finer point on that, if they're not going to shoot down a Chinese balloon that just sailed over our country, if they're not going to support our military, right, that how in the world are they? They're not going to feed you folks. Exactly. Yeah. And you all know that because right. you're listening you're to this show. Right. But I'm saying it'll be widely and instantly and deeply understood. The government is completely unprepared. Here's what people will see. They will see all this lack of preparation and they're going to wonder where the trillion, perhaps $2 trillion that we've spent on Homeland Security, where all that went. I have to take my shoes off when I go to the airport, but the government couldn't stop this. The government can't contain this. The government can't help people when there's no water, which we'll get into in a moment. The government is completely powerless, which is exactly what terrorists want you to believe. So I think for the first 48 hours, police and fire departments battle bravely. I don't think, you know, and some of my listeners that are kind of extreme, I think you guys instantly think when it comes to the police in these situations, the police are going to seize on this opportunity to go start robbing and killing people. I don't see that. That's not credible. I just don't see it. So the police do what they can for about 48 hours. Here's going to be a trend you see throughout this. And there's going to be different reactions and different conditions in blue cities versus red states. We all know this, but we're going to tease those things out mm -hmm. and give you illustrations. And if you still think it's okay to live in a blue city after you listen to this episode, uh, you'll be changing your mind. So in blue cities, they don't let the citizens help, but that's not a big deal because no one has guns, so they can't help much. Maybe the help is, you know, oh, I have a CPR card. I can help, you know, <laughs> with CPR or something like that. But the blue cities, this is like, we're the government and we're going to take care of this situation. The last thing we need is a bunch of armed citizens. That's what they're going to say. Well, in red states, they're going to let and encourage and count on citizens helping. And in red states, they're going to have much better outcomes. That is something that the general population will see with their own eyes as a result of this. It's no longer a debate. It is fact when the red states come out much better in this. I don't think in the first 48 hours, the military is effectively mobilized because I don't think the feds want to admit the severity of the problem. Governments, politically speaking, never want to admit. Remember in the old Soviet Union, they would never admit that an airplane crashed because they wanted people to think that they were so awesome that they built airplanes that never crashed. So here's a scenario that we saw with the October 7th attacks that relate to this. So Israel has gun control laws. Mm -hmm. You, They don't anymore after yeah. October 7th. But if you look at, again, I've looked at a few, if you look at some of the footage out there, those citizens that had training and firearms were taking out Hamas fighters yeah. Like picking off squirrels out of a tree with the 22. They were picking them off left and right. And because civilian gun ownership is effective, it is, is what very you're effective. And especially when people have been trained in it, as young Israelis have to go through army and military training. That's yeah. part of being a citizen. So when you have a trained citizenry, it's minimally effective. trained, we're not Mi talking yeah. Green Berets, we're, we're talking right. about. Basic stuff. And the other thing, the other conclusion that comes out of this, and I know the kind of videos you're talking about, mm -hmm. these Hamas terrorists are not exactly good at what they do. It's really easy to open fire oh. in a mall and hurt a bunch of innocent yeah, which people. which is what they, they just kind of were spray firing. Yeah. yeah, but when they go up against somebody that actually has a modicum of training. And um, can pick them off with great yeah, accuracy. It is. Now, the bad guys are going to do a lot of damage, but the good guys are not going to have that much trouble with them. So, right, this is very unsophisticated. These oh, are, yeah. But it's meant to be that way because it's easy and really inexpensive, yes. Yes. So another thing that I see starting in the first 48 hours is vigilanteism. Now, there's two ways to look at that word. One is the negative sense, and I think people running amok and hanging people and stuff like that I think is a bad idea. I think it's horrible 
because the people doing that are almost always acting on emotion. They're not thinking things through, but there's self-defense and there's vigilanteism. Mm -hmm. I see vigilanteism starting up in the first 48 hours. I also see a whole ton of self-defense, which is the good stuff. Vigilanteism is the bad stuff. So you start to see that. So that's going to start affecting people's perception of what's going on because they're going to be seeing, you know, Hamas doing all this stuff. And then they're going to start worrying about rightly or wrongly. They're going to worry about vigilantes. And by the way, that's a term that the government will use to suppress people from defending themselves. Here's what I also see in the first 48 hours. People will be listening on AM, FM radio. Why AM, FM radio? Because there won't be any TV because in the scenario I've described, there would be Chinese internet attacks. And of course, TV relies on internet. Nobody has antenna anymore to like watch. Hulu is down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Hulu is down. And so people are going to be going into their cars and listening to AM and FM radio. And people will have a healthy appreciation of AM and FM radio restored. And what are your thoughts on ham operators? Ham operators will be active and effective, but they're only talking to small groups of people. For right. example, there'll be a ham radio operator who says, here's what's going on in this city. We live you know, in this small Iowa town and we were attacked and blah, blah, blah. And then that's going to get out to ham radio operators who by definition are a very small subset right. of the population and how the information gets from the ham radio that's operators. That's right. Yeah, it could be you know, people in town square, like yelling. Mm -hmm. I right. mean, that's how it could be. So we're going to get our information from AM, FM radio. And as I say, after a couple of days, the internet presumably comes back and we can start to do TV. But, but my point besides the AM, FM radio point is that people will be glued to whatever source of information they have for about 48 hours. Here's the other thing they'll be doing in the first 48 hours. They'll be panic buying. Yes. They will wipe out store shelves. And this will be reinforcing from 2020 when we saw the TP run. And this will make people realize now for reals, because this will be big stakes. It's not just, you know, the flu. They're going to say, wow, uh, stores don't have a lot of stuff on hand. Here's another thing, and I can't help but say this because it's true and it affects you, the listener, and that is lots of preppers in the first 48 hours are going to be holding back on the I told you so's. And I mention that because it is something that's going to rise to the top of your mind while all this is happening. You're going to be saying, I probably should hold my tongue because it's not going to make things easier in this situation. The last thing I need is a fight with my spouse who's been telling me I'm crazy mm -hmm. to have extra stuff on hand. That's really a bad time to pick a fight, but you're going to be calculating in your head when and how you do the I told you so's. Another thing that I see happening is many municipal water supplies get shut down by electrical outages, perhaps direct attacks like blowing them up and workers not being able to come to work. People can only live for about three days without water. And this is going to end up causing more deaths than the looting or the attacks. We'll talk about the looting in a minute. But one of the takeaways that people will get from all of this is the direct attacks like Hamas, the number of people Hamas directly kill, pales in comparison to the number of people that die from lack of water and also from looting. So, the real dangers emerge after 48 hours. And the real dangers are fellow Americans. And here's what I mean by that. The supply disruptions, that's a big problem. But the lawlessness, that's the really big problem. As anybody who's been in bad situations can tell you, it's usually not the event that is the problem. It's how people react to it that is the big problem. So you've got that. So the first thing to go is going to be the rule of law. I think there is a pent up uh, desire to loot and rob and steal. I think candidly, ever since George Floyd, bad guys know nothing will happen well, to them. And I think ever since the summer of love, ever since, you know, it's the Seattle riots, ever since, um, 
that go what was the other shooting that happened in Missouri that caused those riots for several days? Ferguson. I mean, Ferguson, thank you. Shows that the police are not going to come there in. There aren't enough police. Exactly. And I think bad guys know this. Exactly. And I think within the first 72 hours, looting kills more people than the attacks. And looting is only second to dehydration. So it's looting yes. that turns to murdering. Yeah. That turns to assaulting and dying. And, and, and what are your thoughts on hospitals getting overrun? Oh, it's just. I think, I think that's going to happen because we saw that happen with COVID. Yeah. COVID, there, there were not enough hospital beds. People were getting sent home and, or, or all the hospital beds are being used and people with heart attacks are out on, right. The hospitals, I mean, I didn't even really think about yeah. it, but the hospitals will be overrun by people looking for drugs. It'll be, hey, let's let's go steal this. Right. Um, let's go, I don't know, just harm people. I mean, hospitals are just not going to function. Well, and we learned also in COVID that there's been a very conscientious effort in our healthcare system to downsize hospital bed oh, uh, yeah. capacity. Yeah. So this just gets even, this just starts compounding. You can feel it. Yeah. I think in red states, people start organizing roadblocks because they're concerned about what we call the golden horde, which is a group of desperate, hungry people, usually from the cities that stream out of the cities and start trying to steal food. I think you, you start seeing in red states roadblocks, um, about that. And you start seeing people patrolling the streets to deter and prevent crime. I don't think, by the way, it would be a cooler action story, but I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think that in red states, people patrolling their towns to um, deter crime, I don't think that's going to lead to a lot of bloodshed because I think the deterrence will work. And the whole point of deterrence is not having to hurt people. And I think that'll be largely affected. There will be some crime, obviously. Um, not everybody on the bad guy side is real smart and will realize it's a terrible idea. And in my mind, I have our town in Montana in mind, and I'm telling you, ain't going to be no mischief. Nope. Nope. And that's not just our opinion and that's talking to others kind of a thing. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, red states are going to burst with pent up fervor for doing what needs to be done. They're they're going to have a fervor. They're going to say, you know what? I sat by, I watched this on TV. I knew this bad stuff was going to happen. This was completely unnecessary. Dagnabbit, I have had enough. And they were afraid this could happen. And predictably when it did, they are no longer held back by quaint notions of, we'll let the authorities handle it. And And you're going to see this with your own eyes, not just in red states, but all over the country. People are going to say, enough. And the hint of that that you're seeing right now, I'm going to bring us full circle as we get ready to close out, is when you see the governor of Texas going, enough, yeah, enough lawlessness. I'm going to take matters into my own hand. I'm going to be the leader where there's a lack of leadership. So we're just getting started. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Don't go away. If you, especially if you're Patreon, come join us in the after show. If you're not a Patreon, be sure to become one. And then you could hear the end of the story. Very well. So, folks, remember, of all things, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. From Benjamin Franklin, have a great week, everyone. Adios. You've been listening to Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. All the information you've heard today, including all our previous shows, is online at prepping2-0.com. Find out more about Glenn's books at 299days.com and Shelby's books at agreatstate.com. Until next time, be smart, be safe, and be prepared.